This is a pre recorded program presented by KSL News Radio and Intermountain Healthcare. Healthy Mind Matters, brought to you by Intermountain Healthcare. We discuss the important community issues of stronger mental health, emotional wellness, and the growing problem of addiction. Here's our host, Maria Chaleos, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Thank you for joining us for Healthy Mind Matters. Today we are talking about medical-assisted treatments and substance use. And with me from Davis Behavioral Health are licensed social workers Nancy Moss and Brett Bartruff. And thank you so much to both of you for being here today. Let us begin and let's talk about how people who are suffering from some substance use issue, how they are being impacted in the middle of a pandemic. One of the first things that we obviously noticed is that at a time of increased need and increased stress, many of our clients already have income inequality and and due to the pandemic have more stresses because of that. Um, We've seen those stresses increase and those those stressors financially increase. When we really started seeing an upswing in numbers, treatments, including us, uh, ceased our in-person offerings for for therapy and most in-person treatments and switched to a telehealth format, which was an interesting transition, but we were able to do it in a period of 11 days. We went from, we had no telehealth services to all of our therapy services being offered via telehealth and then increased our outreach services to make sure we were meeting some of the basic needs of our, our clients. But we have just, we have seen that rates of use have gone up. So the not only the stressors that clients experience um, that trigger substance use, but some of the protective factors like their supervision from probation, um, regular drug screening, contact, in-person contact with treatment. Those efforts were scaled back because of the pandemic, which serve as protective factors. So we just saw a large increase in in relapse rates and use rates, but also saw a large percentage of people that maintained contact with treatment and with their probation providers and sought out treatment. And we feel like those numbers are, are I would say, evening off now. We're seeing people re-engage in typical services and, and a decrease in those, those relapse rates. Well, the most important thing we want to tell people is help is available. It doesn't matter whether we're in a pandemic. It doesn't matter whether we're actually meeting face-to-face they can get the help they need. Absolutely, absolutely. Help is available by telehealth or in person. When someone is in crisis, we will meet their the need of that person. If that means we need to meet in person and follow social distancing, we will do that to make sure that we can we help our, our people in need. I'm wondering, and maybe Nancy, you would like to address this, is, is the meeting via conference call like we're meeting right now, is that less intimidating to some people when they are actually reaching out for help? You're right. Um, A lot of people feel a little bit more comfortable in their own um, homes, sitting in their cars, sitting out at a park, talking with us. It's kind of bypassed some of the barriers they've had before, as in transportation issues, childcare issues. The problem we find is that Many clients don't have up-to-date phones where they can do the video conferencing. In that case, we've been just doing telephone work, which has been okay, and they a lot of them like that. We do have, 
you know, a few who like the face-to-face. They want to come in and talk to us in person and aren't comfortable with the telehealth platforms. And so we try to accommodate that also. I think that's a really good point. I have There are some really good things that have happened in response to COVID. And one of them is telehealth services. Some people that would not access services because their anxiety of coming into treatment or coming somewhere, they actually will attend a telehealth service. I have two clients personally that 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 is the case. They did not seek out treatment prior to COVID because telehealth services were not available, but but have since. So it's good to have options, I guess, is the bottom line. And you are here today to talk about all of the different options there are for treatment. Let's start out, though, and and talk about there's not a one size fits all, is there, when it comes to treatment? Yeah, at Davis Behavioral Health, we have the philosophy that recovery and treatment looks different for everybody. We work with a lot of court-mandated programs or people that are referred by the court, and there may be some stipulations about the treatment that they need to receive. But even within that, we really individualize care. Look at someone's um, treatment intensity need. And then and then even within um, a level of care, if they're attending IOP, intensive outpatient or outpatient, there are a lot of options of individualizing what care looks like. We really focus on engagement in recovery at Davis Behavioral Health. We've created a large recovery support program that's staffed by an army of peers in recovery, people with a lived experience that do work throughout treatment prior to treatment and offer services for people continued after they have completed treatment to really engage them in a meaningful recovery that that they are able to identify as what's important to them and 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 really what recovery will look like for each of them. Help paint a picture for us. So when we're talking about individual treatment, that's because everyone that comes to you is different. I, I think people still, even though we've talked about this for a couple of years now, that really this impacts people across all socioeconomic levels. I think people still have something in their mind that this is still somebody who went out partying and just couldn't help themselves and just got addicted and continued to take whatever um, substance they were taking or had to move on to a different substance. But that's really not the truth of it. No, and you're right. It, addiction is not a respecter of persons. It, it crosses all socioeconomic, diverse cultures. Just all of us are impacted. And if a person is not in addiction themselves, they certainly have somebody they're familiar with, somebody in their family, extended family, that is suffering from addiction. And, and so, like Brett said, we have many different types of people who come. Lots of self-referred people, and it takes a lot of courage to make that call and to say, my life is out of control. I'm not able to do the things I normally can do. I'm missing activities. I'm losing my job. I've spent all my money. And it's a big step to reach out for that help. We have people who are court-ordered. And honestly, they're the easiest ones to work with because they have to show up. So I just admire these folks that are able to understand that addiction is seen as a medical issue now. It's not associated with lack of willpower or just wanting to party like and that it can be helped and managed on a continuum of care with a lot of community 
supports in place. Do we have any clear understanding about addiction and why one person becomes addicted to a substance like painkillers, for example, where another may not? Have we learned any more about what exactly happens? We have learned that people have varying sensitivities to addiction potential that may be biological sensitivities, uh, family history, genetics, or neurobiological, some differences in in their brain chemistry, Um, but they may also have environmental vulnerabilities based on the family they grew up with, how things are handled, some psychological issues. It's an interplay of all of these sensitivities and protective factors that, again, is different for everybody and how we see that manifest in each individual. Everybody has the potential for a physical dependence to a substance, but how that plays out when um, is dependent upon all those other vulnerabilities as well. Uh, so we, we, we've gotten better at identifying risk factors for, for people, uh, potential risk factors for substance use severity, but it's still a pretty complicated answer. Right. That seems very scary when it comes to young adults who think they're going to live forever, nothing's going to ever happen to them. And you say every person has that potential. And I think that's an important thing for people to understand. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. There used to be this myth that substance use only affected certain people. I think that that was always a myth, that it has touched lives across every every aspect of our communities. But we just have seen it become so obvious because of the opiate epidemic. Um, we, we have seen it manifest in every situation, in every culture, in every social economic status, that that has just become more apparent and affected a higher proportion of our young people. And often because of that brain chemistry, that that executive functioning in their brain hasn't fully developed to think things through and they feel like they can use with impunity and, and, and not face those consequences because that part of their psyche hasn't developed fully yet. All right. If somebody needs help right now, what would be the best number for them to call? We need to take a break, but I don't want to leave someone hanging if there's someone who thinks that they need help today. So what would you suggest? So they would just call Davis Behavioral Health at 801-773-7060. Let them know that they would like an intake for substance use disorder. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll have more, and we'll give the number to call throughout the program. You're listening to Healthy Mind Matters on KSL News Radio.